Hello, Fins Nation. Welcome back to another episode of the Fins with Frisch podcast. This is going to be the season finale, and we are brought to you by Riviera Produce. It's unfortunate that we're doing the finale this early. Obviously, we were expecting to do this finale. Um, well, we were hoping to do it in the second week of February uh, or the third week of February, but that won't be happening. Uh, the Miami Dolphins once again fail to win a playoff game. I'm going to keep this brief because we have a guest coming on shortly. Jeremy will not be coming on today. Uh, He's too disgusted to talk about the team. And, you know, I'll just quickly talk about Saturday real quick. It was Jeremy's birthday. You know, we went out for brunch, a bunch of our friends, and all I was saying all day is Miami Dolphins are three hours of execution away from making an appearance in the divisional round and uh, they executed for exactly zero minutes out of the three hours that they were out on the field. The only decent thing they did was score a touchdown on a poorly thrown pass to Tyree Kill. So that was the only execution all day was Tyree Kill catching an underthrown pass. Um, And what I want to say is a fan of the team for... 23 years, um, almost 24, is that this season was by far the most disappointing I've ever seen in my life. And this was the year that the Dolphins were not only going to win a playoff game, but they had a real chance to win the Super Bowl. This was the first time they really had a chance to do it, where most of the year they were top four in odds, you know, from October on in terms of winning the Super Bowl. They were conference favorites, AFC favorites, late in the season. Right before the Tennessee game, they were the favorites to win the AFC. The Chiefs are having a down year. The Bills were a mess. You know, They fired their offensive coordinator. Uh, Joe Burrow was out for the year. The Chargers were a team with high expectations, and you know they were in the playoffs last year. They really fell apart. You know They were never good this year, but you know they had high expectations. Aaron Rodgers got hurt. Uh... Even the Jacksonville Jaguars, who were in the divisional round last year, fell apart. And they didn't even win a playoff game, and it's really disappointing. And, you know, to people out there that are trying to look for positives in this, I I just want to say that there are no positives. This is by far the most disappointing year in Miami Dolphins football in the last 23 years. And there needs to be a drastic change. So to help break down what was the most disappointing year for Dolphins football in my life, not to everyone, to some people who accept mediocrity, it was a very successful season. Like Christian Wilkins had fun this year. He said so. Uh, But to Fans like myself and most true Dolphin fans, this was another disappointing year of them being the same old Dolphins. And to help us break all this down, we're going to bring on Sean Williams. Sean, it is a pleasure to have you on. Thanks, man. Yeah, it, uh, it'd be more of a pleasure if the season didn't end the way it did. Um, and kind of like you said, just another unserious year from an unserious franchise. I mean, there's not much else to say, but uh, we are going to say a lot about it. Um, You know, you know how much I hate talking about the quarterback because I think there's so many other issues and we get so caught up in um, 
quarter in talking about the quarterback that I think it kind of takes away from many of the other issues of this team. But uh, that's where we'll start because that's all anyone could talk about. Uh, for me, look, since week three of last year, Tua's had so many chances to prove that he is the guy, and he's run out of chances with me. You know, uh, how do you see it? Where can we go from here? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's really interesting the dramatic difference in his performance against the sub five hundred teams and the good or winning or playoff teams. Like he's three and thirteen in two years with just abysmal stats. I think he has an eighty passer rating against uh, good teams. Uh, winning teams. I think it's really hard to watch. Starting, I would say, like, Ravens game, that that interception to end the first half, um, and then how he just kind of spiraled with the rest of the team in the second half. What he did in the second half against the Bills, uh, a lot of people got mad in that game because we had been in the run, but – they they kind of took away the run and gave us single high safety, which in for our offense is kind of like uh, like the dream scenario. And two is just missing wide open guys. And then I think I think the big revelation is against the Chiefs. You went into sh- really cold weather, and um, we not only realized that he doesn't have the it factor, he doesn't have the the intangibles to where he he can or even I don't even know if he wants to put the team on his back, but also that a lot of our playoff games in the future would probably be played on in cold games. Like it's it's January. It is what it is. And again, he showcases that weather is not meant for him. I mean, yeah, and with the cold weather, the thing is Buffalo's cold, New England's cold. The New York's Colts uh, or New Jersey where the Jets play. So, you know, Rodgers is going to come back. I'm not, you know, the Jets don't scare me a ton, but they're obviously a lot better with Rodgers. And so because we're talking about Tua being a franchise quarterback, if five years from now the Jets are good and the Patriots are good and the Bills are good, we're supposed to chalk up any of those games as a loss if it's played in November, December, because our quarterback can't play in the cold. I, I think it's. Yeah, I think it's ridiculous. And I, and I think, look, it's year four for him. You know, you've got to give me something, right? He's given us nothing of substance in terms of winning. All his stats come against bad teams. So all this leading the league in passing, uh, passing touchdowns, which he only had 28. You know, they came against bad teams. And, you know, I think deep down everyone knows when you watch Tua play, it doesn't look like Mahomes. It doesn't look like Josh Allen. It doesn't look like C.J. Stroud or Jordan Love. And those are the guys playing this weekend. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't even really look like Baker Mayfield, and Baker Mayfield is playing this weekend. Um, it, like, he's just missing – because, like, is he a better passer than Baker Mayfield? Absolutely. But, again, like, Baker's one of those guys that have the intangibles. He has that kind of dog in him where he wants to go out there. He wants to win the game. He wants to play in the big moments. Um, and, and look, I think the biggest thing I saw from Tua this year was 
And you have to start with, okay, why is he turning the ball over more? Um, and as the season progresses, and it, it it's really kind of been illuminated the past few weeks as you start, like, reflecting and going back. And, you know, you have videos like the Kurt Warner video. Um, and you start to realize he became a one-read thrower this year. And, I mean, I've seen – I've seen him like he's an RPO quarterback. He's arguably the best RPO quarterback in the world. So he's often going to throw to his first read. But this year, and, and, and Kurt Warner said this, like he's rushing passes. Okay. So why is he rushing passes? Well, you look at every year prior to this year, he's had the injuries, whether it's concussions, whether it's rib, whether it's the hip, whether it's a, a finger, there's always some kind of injury issue. And the big narrative going into this year is, can he stay healthy? Can he play a full season? So it seems to me like he's gone out of his way to avoid contact, even if it means throwing a ball into triple coverage over the middle of the field to Tyreek Hill. And I think Mike McDaniel really illuminated it in the end of season press conference when they asked him what can to improve on. He said he's got to figure out how to buy that extra little bit of time to where he can, you know, the open man get past his first read like if we are and here's here's why the issue with two is what it is you have to do so many things to find the right middle ground with him okay so are we supposed to have him lose some of the weight he put on uh this offseason so he can get agile again so he can move around the pocket but then are we risking him getting hurt again uh why why is there always some kind of concession that has to be made to get him to where he needs to be like there's no reason you transformed into a, a one read quarterback this year and through 17 games through 17 games of coaching 18 if you include the playoffs like you never evolved from that you just you stuck to throwing it to your first read it, and it's the end of year four like you said how much longer are we going to wait like it, you you can't you can't pay him a extension like he's done like you said what has he shown you has he given you a division title no has he given you a playoff win no uh did he lead the league in and stats for for passing yards in what was a historically down year i think since sometime in the early 2000s uh which is in big part because of quarterback injuries and stuff like that so like what have you done why 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 do you deserve 40, 45, 50 plus million dollars. Like we just, the whole world watched you completely fold. And it wasn't like he played bad. He straight up folded in these big moments down the stretch. And, and that's, you know, that's an important point that you bring up two things. One that he folds in these moments, because one of the things that we thought about Tua coming out of Alabama was this guy has the it factor. He was 19 years old and threw the game-winning touchdown at Alabama, came off the bench and throws the game-winning touchdown on second and 26 after taking a terrible sack to win the national title against the rivals. And he hasn't shown he has the effect. And that was one of the things early in his career, you know, Omar Kelly and people would tweet, well, Tua isn't, you know, lighting up the stat sheet, but 
he's winning games. And, you know, when it counts, remember fourth quarter Tua three years ago, four years ago, before we could actually talk about him passing for more than 40 yards a game. Uh, that was, well, he plays well after an interception. He plays well in the fourth quarter. All that's kind of gone away. And the other point that you bring up about how we've sort of sacrificed offense to keep Tua healthy. You know, we get he gets rid of the ball quickly now to because he doesn't want to take hits. And now the question is, well, does he lose more weight? You know, what do we do with him? I think there's just so many questions. And it's year four where he's supposed to give us answers. When you're a franchise quarterback getting $50 million a year, you shouldn't be the question mark. The question mark should be, you know, how do we get the team over the hump? We have this stud with this stud quarterback that we have. We don't, you know, no one's asking that. People are saying, well, he needs the perfect offensive line. You know, they went away from the run game. And obviously going away from the run game is a mistake. But it's one of the things I used to say about Justin Herbert when people would criticize the coaching. I'm like, so you're upset that they put the ball in the quarterback that you say is great hands? You know, Tua doesn't make plays in these big moments. And against the Chiefs, I think, you know, it was on display more than ever. The last three weeks of the season, really, the Ravens, uh, Bills and Chiefs, when things start to go south, um, you know, Tua can't really respond. Not only that, but when things start to go south, he seems to start going south. It's it's like even if even if the defense starts kind of, you know, losing it, like he for whatever reason loses it. He like he's it's so weird to watch. Like and Again, you can, there's plenty of issues with this team. Like, there's there's plenty, way more than we thought before the season uh, that we would have to deal with uh, at this point. But th- the Bills' second half was a huge example to me of Mike McDaniel did make an adjustment in the, in the second half. He adjusted to getting a single high coverage, which, again, is the exact coverage this scheme wants to see, wants to play against. And Tua still just continued to force the ball to his first read. And I know uh, Tyreek had a critical drop or two in that game. But if you go back and watch the film, he shouldn't have even been throwing to Tyreek on those plays. There was wide open receivers underneath. So that then, again, it gets to a point where – and you could almost see it on McDaniel's face towards the end of the year – when Tua would start making some of these mistakes, McDaniel's look on his face on the sideline is, what the hell is this kid doing? And it's like, what else do we have to do for him? And at one point, is it just not worth it? And I think, for me, we are at that point. Like, you are only going to cripple the franchise more by going down this road because you're at a position now this offseason where it's – virtually impossible just to bring back the team you had last year because of your cap situation, much less adding talent, much less, you know, trying to supplement the pass rushers who are probably going to miss parts of next year and probably won't be their, their selves themselves, even when they come back. So now if you do, if you do extend to them and things go poorly again, you're looking at a dramatic blow it up rebuild next year but still having that quarterback on on your books. Like, it, it's time to make some hard decisions with this team. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I think that's exactly where we're headed. And, yeah, I think if you don't have your answer in year four, 
with whether your quarterback is the guy or not, then you have your answer. That's the answer. With Josh Allen, you the answer. And Josh Allen is the biggest example of a quarterback not playing well at first and then becoming great. He's really one of the only ones recently, maybe the only one. He was great by year three. Mahomes was great right away. Jordan Love, first year as a full starter, great. C.J. Stroud, great right away. Um, Baker Mayfield, the only reason he's there is because he plays in the NFC South. Um, but I think that, like you said, this roster is only going to get worse. You know, you've brought up that Fangio may not even be there next year. And that was one of the things about this team last year was the defense was kind of terrible. We go out, we get Vic Fangio, we go get Jalen Ramsey, we go get David Long, and, you know, we still, we we score seven points in the in the playoff game. We score 14 points the week before, uh, 27 points over the final 10 quarters of the season. And people talk about, well, the team was depleted. No, the defense was depleted. The offense was mostly there besides Connor Williams and Isaiah Wynn. So if Connor Williams and Isaiah Wynn is all it takes for them being injured is all it takes for your quarterback to not be able to put up double digits in a playoff game, you don't have a franchise quarterback. And I think you got to make a bold move. I think a lot of people are pointing to Jared Goff and saying, well, Jared Goff developed now. The Rams moved on from him. Now, you know, he's gotten really good. But the Rams don't regret doing that. The Rams had the best roster that they were going to have. They went out and they got Matt Stafford and they won a Super Bowl. And now they're still a playoff team. And and maybe who knows? You know, they had a Super Bowl hangover last year, in my opinion. They really did not <laughs> care about the season, it looked like to me. And I think that the rest of the team around two is only going to get worse. And then if you pay him, it's going to get even worse than that. And I think that, you know, what I want to do is I want to get rid of Waddle and Holland uh, for being soft and a couple of first rounders and go get Caleb Williams. And I'm not even a Caleb Williams guy, but I think that we are not going to win a Super Bowl with Tua and McDaniel, who we'll get into as the head coach and quarterback. And the rest of this roster is ready to win a Super Bowl. Um, I think they have to make a drastic change. I'd love to, you know, hear your thoughts on what that change could be. Yeah, I think I think in theory, the idea uh two two years ago of bringing in a Tyree Kill and you already have Jalen Waddle and you bring in a Moster, the idea of of just the fastest offense anyone's ever seen was fun in theory. But as defense has adjusted late in last year and showed that, you know, you take away to the middle of the field, now you're going to have to force Tua into throwing outside, uh, which is not his strength whatsoever. Or you just have Tua who stubbornly still throws over the middle, which is what we saw a lot this year. Um, McDaniel's answer to that this year was all of these crazy motions to get wide receivers open, to manipulate the defense, to help our run game, et cetera, et cetera. But but with that comes the pre-snap penalties. And we actually had more pre-snap penalties last year. But I feel like when you have to extend the creativity so far that it becomes as complicated as it is with our offense, with the motions, with this, with that, and the things we have to do just to maximize to a skill set, that's where you see the the pre-snap penalties. And I know a lot of that, you know, people want to blame directly on McDaniel for discipline and stuff. And I do think there's there's an element to that that's absolutely true. 
I do think McDaniel needs to learn how to hold people accountable more, but it just seems like we've maximized this offense. So whether you keep Tua or not, it's more so if you're going to keep Tua, I just don't think you can keep Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle together. They're redundant. They have the same skill sets. Obviously Tyreek is, is a lot faster, quicker, um, more agile and overall the better player, but they're both small guys. They both struggle catching the ball with their hands. So it, and again, we saw all, all this year and we talk about uh, Tyreek dropping balls and he has dropped plenty of open, open balls, but he's not meant to be a, a possession receiver catching it in triple, triple coverage in tight windows. Like that's not who he's supposed to be. And now we're asking both guys to be that uh, we need to get an actual compliment to one of them. Somebody who can get the 50, 50 balls, somebody who can make the tough catches, somebody that does make you not want to blow your brains out after watching a goal line fade uh, on fourth and goal. Um, and then on top of that, they have to figure out how to get somebody who can run in between the tackles uh, at running back because and I know why they go outside so often. They go outside, they try and stretch it horizontal so that that opens up the middle of the field. They figure, hey, if we can break off some chunk plays outside, they're going to unclog the middle of the field. The problem is we we kind of struggle running to the outside because, and this is another reason why you have to, I think, break up the Waddle and Hill combination. They suck for our run game. They absolutely kill it. Tyreek Hill and Waddle on the field at the same time is a disaster for the run game. Um, it's better when it's just Waddle on the field, uh, but with both, it's it's like absolutely terrible. And then when you are taking Tyreek Hill off the field, now you're telegraphing that you're running the ball. So I, I think we've gotten to a point where there's a personnel issue with the offense. You don't have a great uh, or even above average blocking tight end that can be a threat in the pass game. You don't have any type of size at wide receiver. You have a uh, aging veteran uh, with Raheem Mostert, who I think for all the, all the great touchdowns he had this year, I feel had an, a very overrated season by how fans are looking at it. Um, it's hard to imagine A-Chan ever being a heavy usage running back at his size. So if you're going to keep Tua, and, and they probably are, like they have to make drastic changes to that offense because I just don't see the offense working. I think defenses have learned that. I mean, look at look at what Legarius Sneed said after after the game on Sunday. He absolutely owned, dominated Tyree Kill. He was he was throwing him to the ground. He was ragdolling him. Uh, you can play press coverage and embody our receivers, and and that takes away the timing. And Tua can't operate without timing. He can't. He can't anticipate. He can't throw to his windows. It is getting too easy to stop our offense, and we have a quarterback that can't extend plays or make plays himself. So something dramatic has to change. I th- I think you're right about a lot of things. I think that Tyreek does hurt. Tyreek and Waddle both out there does hurt the run game, and I'm with you on Raheem Mostert. I'm a huge Raheem Mostert hater, and I've been since the Green Bay fumble last year. I still believe if he didn't fumble when it was 20-10 to 10 before half, we would have won that game. 
and I've never forgiven him, even though he kind of stopped fumbling towards the end of this year. I just think it's all kind of for nothing because look at what we're trying to do. And I and I know the ideal situation for both of us is to get rid of Tua, and you're talking about what do we do if we keep him. I just think we're trying to think of ways to make the offense work with Tua. And, you know, that tells you all you need to know. Like, the Chiefs have no good players on offense, really, uh, besides, I mean, I guess – 75-year-old Travis Kelsey, who now only catches the ball half the time. You know, Rasheed Rice is good, but they, they don't have great weapons. And I know Mahomes is the best in the world. Outside of Diggs, the Bills don't really have anything. And I know Diggs is great, but, you know, Tyreek Hill's great. We've got a ton of weapons outside of him. Uh, I, ju- I just think that we've tried to do so many things for Tua in the last four years we fired a coach because one of the big reasons was he hated Tua. We brought in a coach that loved Tua. He FaceTimes Tua, says, it's my job to make you great. He was getting injured. Okay, we're going to make our whole offense revolve around getting the ball out fast. We go get the two fastest receivers in the league. Um, and I think they tried bringing in – that's what Claypool was. They tried bringing in he, – he was supposed to be their possession guy to catch balls sort of at midseason. And, uh, you know, obviously he's not really that good at it. But I, I think overall, the problem is this, and this isn't even really – it is a two-a point, but it's not really me hating on him. I, it's that all these other quarterbacks find a way. Like Josh Allen finds a way. Patrick Mahomes finds a way to be there at the end of the year, and regardless of what's around him. And I think that no matter what we get, when it really comes down to it and the season's on the line and it's Dolphins versus Bills – it doesn't matter who's out on the field if it's Josh Allen versus Tua. And I think that's the biggest problem. And I think that, you know, as far as McDaniel, I think it's not just a play calling thing. I think it's a whole culture thing. And this, you know, speaks to the players as well. Christian Wilkins coming out after a failed season saying, this is the most fun I've had. Tyree Kill tweeting about his lips being chapped when the Jerry Sneed jams him and tweeting jammed my ass to Cancun. I think this is a locker room full of guys that, yeah, they like winning, but they don't really hate losing, like the way that Debo Samuel hates losing. Um, yeah, but so I used this analogy uh, this past week, especially after, you know, Christian Wilkins comes out, says it was fun, and Tyreek Hill says, I feel like we exceeded expectations this year, whatever, whatever. I feel like it's when we were kids, and I know you played football, it's like when you're going into like Pop Warner or whatever, and they tell you it doesn't matter if you win or lose as long as you have fun. I feel like we are somehow the adult grown man version of it doesn't matter if you win or lose as long as you have fun. Like that's the way I, I look at the culture of the Miami Dolphins. Yeah, I mean, I, you're spot on. I think that and, – and it's kind of ridiculous to think about because, you know, these are guys who four or five, six weeks ago were saying, you know, we have a chance to do something special. Two sitting there saying, guys are getting here earlier, they're leaving later. And then the second, it's, the second they have any adversity, they're never really to overcome it. And I think that's what comes with, you know, being a group of guys who don't really care about losing. And people have said, you know, the Dolphins players care about winning 
less than the actual fans of the team do. And I think it's super obvious. Like Tyree Kill, the your average Dolphins fan is more upset that the Dolphins aren't playing this weekend than Tyree Kill and Christian Wilkins. Uh, I think the big issue for McDaniel, just going to the pre-snap penalties for a second, because this speaks to the overall culture of the team. I understand what you're saying with the motions, and, th- and this is one of the things that you and I disagree on wh- is just Mike McDaniel and should he be the coach. The motions, I understand they could cause confusion, um, and that could lead to penalties, but we're still talking about the same team that couldn't get lined up for a QB sneak in 65 seconds with the season on the line last year. You know, we're talking about a team that after Tua spiked a screen pass that would have been a touchdown to A-Chain on second and inches. They get the first down on third and inches at midfield called back because he because they had an illegal formation penalty. There was no motion there from what I remember. Maybe there was. I could be wrong, but I think they just lined up and ran it. And, you know, it's it's discipline. It's culture. It's guys coming out saying they're having fun. And you can have Mike McDaniel's personality, and I think you tweeted out something about this, how Zach Sealer is a killer on defense, but they don't really have one on offense. If there's players that are going to instill a culture of discipline and you as the coach don't have to get after guys because when someone lines up incorrectly, Tyree Kill's going to yell at them, then that's fine. But we don't have that, and it doesn't seem like they're in any – you know, sort of mood to get a guy like that. Maybe they will, but I, I don't know. I just don't see it. Yeah, I mean, if you go back and look at the Colts under Tony Dungy, Tony Dungy was the same thing. Very soft-spoken. Wasn't this this guy that's going to, you know, hold people, like, accountable. Uh, but they had, they had Peyton Manning, who was an absolute general, who held everyone accountable. They had Jeff Saturday, who did the same thing, like, you have to have that balance. And I don't need Mike McDaniel to be that necessarily, but I need anybody on the team to act like they give a shit. So yeah, someone has to do it. And it has to be that the other part is it has to be the best players, right? It can't be if, if Cedric Wilson's yelling at guys, it's not, a, it, people are like, you know, Jalen Waddle lines up offsides and Cedric Wilson's like, what the hell? Jalen Waddle's like, dude, uh, you're freaking Cedric Wilson, but it, it, it's gotta be Tyreek Hill. And if it's not Tyreek Hill, then you got to find another guy that's almost as well, good. Well, in a weird way, I think losing has almost been glorified by this team. And what I mean by that is they, they almost – they look at it like it's this opportunity. Like it's an opportunity to get better. It's an, Instead of just absolutely fucking hating it, like it, you think of the greats. Like Kobe, Kobe it, it would take him an entire offseason – after losing uh, to the Celtics the first time or the first time around where he just, he was angry. Like he had to sit in that loss and it, it stewed in him. And it, it's, this team is not that it's almost like instead of you know getting mad or holding people accountable after a loss, it's like, it, it's all right. It happened. It is what it is. We learn from it and we move on. Like, but you're not learning from it because you're not, you almost have that loss on a pedestal because your whole mantra is adversity is opportunity. Like, so, so you're, you're welcoming the adversity, but you're not doing it in the way that, you know, soldiers would learn to welcome adversity. Uh, like, you don't, it's not like you're, the team is full of Jocko Willinks who, you know, self punish themselves uh, in the, in the name of getting better. 
No, yeah, and it's a, you know, it's a great reference, Jocko Willink. And the, the best part about the adversity is opportunity, you know, mantra that this that this team has adopted is it's adversity that you're creating by playing terrible. Like, sure, adversity can be opportunity, but there wouldn't be any adversity if you just went out and executed. So, and I just think, you know, Justin Houston, who's on the team for 72 hours, I don't even, if you know more about that, I'd love to know because I was looking for more on this. I guess he was celebrating with Chiefs players in the Dolphins locker room after the game, from what I understand. I mean, what are we even talking about? Like, we're sitting here talking about the team after the season, but, you know, right after the Chiefs solidify their biggest collapse of the year, uh, the Dolphins being the biggest collapse of the year before the Cowboys game uh, and before the Eagles game, they're just like, oh, yeah, well, Justin Houston has been on the team for 72 hours. He, he's friends with players on the Chiefs, so they can celebrate together could you imagine that happening in san francisco's locker room or kansas city who beat us as locker room or buffalo's i thought i saw that chris jones was in the dolphins locker room <laughs> celebrating oh my God. With like, yeah celebrating with like justin houston i think it was chris jones in miami's locker room but um either way like i guess so if it's justin houston like who's been on the team for like 72 hours sure I guess like that doesn't necessarily bother me like he was basically you know uh hired to fill a desperate need like it's not like he's grown with the team or been around but like I don't even I, I don't even like that Tua is asking to exchange jerseys with Patrick Mahomes like the second you just got absolutely embarrassed on national tv in the playoffs your first ever playoff game, and you're you're asking for another dude's jersey. I mean, I think it's crazy. And two supporters are coming out and say, "Watch the whole clip." Mahomes also asked for his jersey. Mahomes won the game. He and he's got two Super Bowls. He could ask for whatever he wants. I mean, but at the same time, you know, Justin Houston feeling empowered to let guys in the locker room. Would Chris Jones let a human being? For another, like, could you imagine a Bengals player came to you know fill a need for the Chiefs last year in the playoffs, and Joseph Osai didn't commit that penalty? Or we don't have to imagine in twenty twenty one when the Chiefs blew the twenty one three lead. Imagine if a Bengals player who came over to Kansas City, former Bengal, um, who'd been on the team for three days, was just like celebrating with I don't even know um, BJ Hill in the Chiefs locker room. That wouldn't be allowed. Yeah, it just there's so many things about this team that just gives off unserious vibes. And uh, I was listening to Alan and Omar's podcast uh, yesterday, or maybe it was earlier today. And Alan talked about how it rubbed him the wrong way in the end of season press conference that Chris Greer was so lackadaisical about this season when asked about. Hey, how how do you feel being the biggest poverty franchise in the NFL with the you know the longest playoff win drought in the NFL? Obviously, it wasn't framed like that, but it, it, and asked about this team's success and failure and where to go from here. And he was super lax today's goal about it. You know, you congratulated the Lions 
said, we'll let you guys determine in success or failure, but we like our, our core group here and we're excited to build off of it and it'll be easy. Yada, yada. Like when asked about, you know, the cap concerns, it'll be easy. We'll be able to do whatever we want, which isn't true. And I sent you some stuff today because I've already started doing my homework. Like not, nothing about this team is easy and nothing about this team should make anybody feel proud, happy, excited. Uh, I mean, we are so danger- dangerously close to a full-blown rebuild, in my opinion. And these guys are, you know, just walking around, moseying around with lackadaisical attitudes. And it, it just – it all comes off so unserious. And it makes you, you know, very unsurprised that they continually – have the seasons they have and why the real motto of the Dolphins shouldn't be fins up, which is now, you know, being taken away because of copyright with Jimmy Buffett, it should be that's so Dolphins. <laughs> that's exactly what it should be. I mean, you're you're so right with how people don't realize how close we are to this team really just being blown up probably at the end of next year uh, and losing a lot of guys before next year. And look, I'm all for, by the way, not extending anybody. Make everyone earn their money. Don't extend Tua. Let him play out the fifth year. I know that causes cap issues, and they can free up some cap space with the pseudo-extension, as the ghost of Adam Gase was saying. Um, and Other than Robert Hunt, because Robert Hunt slammed his helmet after the interception against the Bills and uh, yelled the F word. So that tells me that he hates losing. But don't extend anyone else. Javon Holland wants an extension. You sat out with whatever your injury was sprained MCLs apparently when, when you heard him seven weeks ago and Ray Lewis played a whole Super Bowl run with torn biceps or triceps. One of the two um, Mark Andrews went on IR the week after Javon Holland uh, got injured, didn't go on IR. And I know Javon played in two games or actually was just on the field. He wasn't really doing anything in the two games. Certainly wasn't guarding anyone in the Baltimore game. Um, and he and he's back. So and, and Javon Holland, the most important game in your life, doesn't show up. Don't extend him. Don't extend Christian Wilkins, who's having fun after losing. Don't extend the quarterback. Uh, make these guys earn it. Uh, but I I just think that as far as well, you know, it's year four. We still don't know. And I said earlier, if you don't have your answer at this point, you have your answer. You went one in six against playoff teams, and the only playoff team you beat is the other biggest fraud in the NFL, the Cowboys. Like, what are we talking about here? It's not like, what, why do we need to see this again? What like, there's not, What's going to change? Your quarterback's not going from year one to year two. Your quarterback's going from year four to year five. You already brought in all the guys you bring in to win championships. Chubb last year, you traded a first for him. You bring in Jalen Ramsey. Those are championship moves, and you can't get past the first round. And this was the year to do it, too, because Joe Burrow was out. The Chargers have a lot of talent. I think the Chargers suck, but the Chargers could be really good next year. You know, this was, and the Bills were falling apart midseason. You're the Division One. You had a three-game lead with five games left. And this was the year to do it, and you couldn't even get past round one. So I just don't understand why anybody wants to see any of this again. I mean, look at... Prime example, you have a first-time, first-year head coach in a rookie quarterback on the Houston Texans with Tamiko Ryans and T.J. Stroud. C.J. Stroud lost his most dynamic weapon 
well over a month ago in Tank Dell. And doesn't have like Michael Dieter starting on their offensive line. They they have a lot of guys that aren't household names. It's basically Dalton Schultz and Nico Collins on, on offense uh, with uh, Devin Singletary and that a, a bunch of guys that no one's ever heard of on defense. And they're out there with absolute like championship mentality type effort. I'm not saying they're going to the Super Bowl, just that type of and effort and it factor. And look, here's the issue with Tua, especially this offseason, because like you said, you you almost can't afford not to extend him, but in order to do literally anything, like even re-signing your own players, and there's a lot of players that are now free agents on the Dolphins. You Extending a quarterback, like the reason for extending a quarterback should never, ever, ever be because of financial relief in the short term like that is that would be the the absolute of all absolute poverty decisions I've ever seen this franchise makes is if they extend him just because it gives them cap relief like I'm saying that out loud just just made me feel so mad because I know it's the exact type of thing that they'll do yeah (laughs) I mean the only team that could would make a poverty move like that would out poverty themselves would be the dolphins. That's what we are. I mean, I, I just think, you know, it's not anything different that I've been saying. It's just, we've seen as high as this team could go. It's not any different than what really any rational dolphins fan who's been watching this team over and over again for 20 years has been saying, you know, we've seen the best this team's going to be. We've seen arguably this could be I mean the Bills are kind of aging, so maybe the Bills get worse. But you know, the AFC is only getting better. You know, two quarterbacks, two very good quarterbacks, one star in Burrow and one guy who, you know, isn't necessarily a star. Some people think he is, Herbert. We're out this year. They're gonna be back. And the, this could be the worst the Chiefs are in a in, in a very long long time. Like the Chiefs are probably only gonna get better. And you couldn't get out of round one. And exactly, I mean, you're gonna have so- the, you're gonna have the Texans like like be one of these dominant AFC teams real quick. I mean, exactly. And you know, with the Texans, it's you, we can say, okay, well, it's the AFC South. They just scored forty five points on a good defense. We had twenty seven points the last ten quarters of the year, and that's the rookie quarterbacks here. Like the Texans roster right now, that's a roster where you're like, okay, we add a big-time player here and here, now we're a Super Bowl contender. Like, we made those moves. We added the edge rusher. We added another star in the secondary. We added a star receiver before we were really there, and we couldn't get it done. And it only everyone gets a year older. We're going to lose some guys in the offseason. And, and the Bills is – look, I hate the Bills. Trey White's on IR. Matt Milano's on IR. Those guys are coming back. And – I liked your point about Deiter being on the Texans line because Joe Burrow, when he went to the Super Bowl, Isaiah Prince was starting for them, who we drafted in the sixth round and couldn't eat. We cut him. And that was a year where the Tua guys were saying Tua has the worst line in the league. So a guy that couldn't even make the team for the team with the worst line in the league ended up starting on Joe Burrow's team. It's just so obvious. They, I, I don't, I, I think they got to find. They got to get rid of McDaniel or Tua. One of them has to go, or they're going to waste all this talent. Yeah, I think, I think you know, things start at the top. And look, before this season, 
people start already started alluding to the fact that we were going to start having some real issues financially this off season. And that's okay. It, it, before the season, if you look at the roster, it looks like a, a potential co- championship contending roster. The issue you get into is if it's not, then you have problems like having any pass rushers available to start next season because of what happened to Chubb, what happened to Phillips, Andrew Van Ginkle, even if he's re-signs. I've heard, you know, that it, it may be a Liss Frank injury, which is a serious foot injury. So, and then, you know, Armstead, arguably the worst signing we've had and besides Byron Jones we're like this guy's done nothing for you and you restructured him last year which means you can't get rid of him this year and now he's talking about retiring potentially like you you went for it and for whatever reason it was the biggest disaster attempt of going for it and it didn't work out but now you have to deal with it like if it had worked out if a lot of these guys had you know big seasons and let's say they went to the AFC championship game like this offseason becomes easier because you know you in order to have gone there you would have seen Tua was the guy so that's not something you have to spend your offseason debating this year like you you know he's the guy um and that goes for other guys and, and to me the biggest problem this team has is Chris Greer like I was I was thinking about it today, and one of the worst habits he has is drafting for future replacement. What do I mean by that? We drafted Noah Agbenogany to hopefully replace Byron Jones and or Xavier Howard. We drafted uh, Cam Smith this year, who didn't see us literally almost a snap on defense the entire season to replace Xavier Howard. We drafted Channing Tindall to potentially replace Jerome Baker. So we're we're not drafting best player available, which is why we only have one single all pro in Chris Greer's entire tenure. That's been drafted. And that's Xavier Howard. Um, and very few pro bowls and, and plenty of misses. So like we have zero youth. And again, like I was listening to Alan and Omar's podcast and they brought it up. It's very top heavy with just a ton of roster filler. And now you're, you're in a situation where you're going to have to bring in a ton of one year deal type veterans, the, the Isaiah wins, those guys that are definitely going to come with risk with. So it's like their podcast today, the the title of it. And what they talked about was should the dolphins rebuild retool this off season. And as much as I hate it as a fan, all logic tells you they, need, they should really think about at least doing a mini rebuild this year like you don't have to go back to how they handled it in 2019 and just gut the roster and get, you know, all sorts of picks. But if they go into this off season and they want to run it back with Tua, with Tyreek, with all these other guys, they have to restructure guys, which means now you're putting their money off even further, just like with what happened with Armstead last year, you restructured them. So now this upcoming year became, it almost a guaranteed year, a year you can't get out of. So if you do that with Tyreek, who is about to turn 30, I, I think next month, you're essentially putting money off so far that like he's going to still be on your roster at 33, 34 years old. And that dude's already starting to break down with the way we use him. Um, 
you, you can't restructure Bradley Chubb because you have no idea what he's going to look like after a second ACL tear in his career. If you restructure Jalen Ramsey, like you're just pushing more of that money and getting yourself further into debt. And yeah, in a sense, cap isn't real and you can push that money off, but bill always comes due. Like that credit card bill always comes due. And that's where they have to make the decision, which is really tough. So like, I don't envy them, but I also don't have any faith in them to make the right decision because they've proven they can't. Are you willing to dig yourself a deeper hole this offseason just for the sake of quote unquote running it back? Or like, are you going to be grown, grown enough to make like adult decisions? And I don't think they're going to make the right decisions. Well, two things uh, on this point, because uh, I think that it's an easy decision. I think you don't run it back. And with Tua, I've been a fan of this team for 20 year, 23 years, and Tua's by far the best quarterback we've had, way better than Tannehill. But real fans don't care about who's better than Ryan Tannehill and getting the playoffs. They want to see a Super Bowl. I think it's obvious we're not winning a Super Bowl with this roster. I think exactly what you said. I don't, I don't think you want to go into more debt trying to run it back with this team. We don't know what Bradley Which will be Chubb's... a lesser version of itself because you can't even afford to bring half of your significant free agents back. Like you have Deshaun Elliott, Andrew Van Ginkle, who's injured, Wilkins, Hunt, uh, Connor Williams, uh, Isaiah Wynn, potentially Trenner. Like you have so many free agents, you can't even afford to fully run it back. So it would be a lesser version of itself. Well, not only is it a lesser version, but it's a lesser version of a team that couldn't win in a lesser version of the AFC. Because the AFC next year is going to be better than it was this year. And the team, even if you run it back, like you said, is going to be worse next year. It's just uh, they're not winning with this team. Now, I agree with you that I don't have faith they'll make the right decision. But I do have faith, small amount, that they will make a big decision. That's the one thing that I will give Steven Ross credit for. He's a guy that will open his checkbook and really wants to win. I don't know what the decision is. I think that people have mentioned Kyler's name, Caleb Williams, my trade proposals out there. Uh, I've been threatened to be kicked out of spaces for, for voicing my proposal, but I'm serious. You know, it's not two is not bringing us the Super Bowl. I don't know if Caleb will, but maybe he will. It's a more than 0% chance. I think that Kyler Murray, I don't know how it would work with his contract. I haven't looked into it, but I think for the right price, the Cardinals aren't competing for anything really. Um, You know, we've got some young talent. I don't think we can even extend Jalen Phillips as much as I love the guy because you don't know what he's going to look like off an Achilles. Or I guess we'll find out next year if he, you know, if he comes back. Well, and that's the thing too, both him and Waddle, they have to decide this offseason if they're going to pick up their fifth-year option. And I imagine they'll pick up both of their fifth-year options. But, like, coming off an, uh, an Achilles, you're probably not even going to see the best version of Phillips next year. So you're you're really not going to get a good judgment until he's on his fifth year. No, yeah, and that's another thing with Jalen Phillips. Even with Waddle, who, you know, was playing hurt in the national championship, I – was one of Chris Greer's last defenders because I the way I looked at it going into the last couple of years, especially this year, was this is the best roster in the league outside of the quarterback, arguably. 
and it's all you know Niners, Eagles, and us. And he got the quarterback that the fan base would have rioted if he didn't get. Um, and but when I go back and look at everything, Toronto Armstead injury history, Jalen Phillips injury history, Bradley Chubb injury history. You so you go out and get all those guys, and then they all get injured. You can't use it as an excuse. And on top of that, it was the defense who was depleted, and it was the offense who couldn't produce in the most important, you know, when it really came down to it at the end of the year. Um, I think there's blame everywhere. I think Ross will make a big decision. Xavier Howard, I think, was actually a Mike Tannenbaum pick. I think that I, Greer was the GM at the time, but I think Tannenbaum it was, it was had technically control, right? his first. It was technically his first with the title of GM Greer, but Tannenbaum was still here. So I like to be fair so that like, I don't have it both ways because there's other situations where, you know, people will say, well, Greer wasn't the GM then. So like because Tannenbaum was still here. So that bad decision doesn't count. I'm just going to go with, I, I didn't have, I wasn't a fly on the wall in 2016. So I will give credit where it's due, but like give blame where it's due in that same draft. So uh, I'll give it to Greer. Sure. Well, no, I'm, I'm saying I'm not, I'm not giving the Xavier Howard pick to Greer. I'm, I'm saying that he's never without that pick, he's never drafted an all pro. And, you know, he sort of, he put all his eggs in the basket of injured players. And, you know, I think it's sort of everyone that we needed to not get injured, got injured. And all the people that we needed to produce to step up in, you know, when these guys got injured on offense um, with our depleted defense didn't step up. Uh, so I think that I don't, if you're going to run it back, but I don't, I don't know if bringing in a new GM really does anything at this point. Cause if you're going to bring in a new GM, you have to bring in a new coach. And I don't think you start all over going into this year. But I think you need. I think you go get a quarterback. Find a way. Pay the Bears whatever they want. Pay the Cardinals whatever they want. I'm not even the big like. I'm not even the biggest Kyler fan in the world. But even when you watch Kyler play football, or when you watch Caleb Williams play football, it doesn't look how it looks with Tua. There are certain things that Tua does at an elite level. Um, you know his accuracy in a tight window is over the middle of the field, which is an important skill. He's better at Kyler than it, and then Kyler at it. And presumably he's going to be better than Caleb Williams at it. But in this league with how athletic defenses are, and you know what you've talked about where there's not many resources at offensive line, you have to be able to extend plays. He can't do that. And in the biggest moments, he's his accuracy goes away. He had Waddle open over the middle of the field in the Chiefs game, and he missed him, missed him high on fourth down. So the thing that he's elite at, he's not even elite when it really counts. So – for me, the solution is, you know, do whatever you can. Keep as many of the guys as you can this year. Don't extend. Don't don't give anybody big, big extensions besides Robert Hunt. And go get a quarterback, however you have to do it. Because this is the best. This is this could be the best roster we're going to so, have before 2030. Here's the issue. And you look at the past few offseasons and you've seen – the inflation and how contracts are getting bigger and bigger right now there's projections out there that has Robert Hunt 
at four years for $70 million. Now, there was also an agent, I think I saw on Twitter today that came out and said uh, he very much expects both Robert Hunt and Cotter Williams to get offers of uh, over $10 million per year on the open market. So there's a reason. So, And I tweeted this out, I think, earlier last week or end of last week. I think Chris Greer, and he kind of said it in his press conference, he went to everybody that he wanted to be here long, long term, probably starting last offseason, even a few times during the season, and offered him the best offer he he was willing to give. And the, some players took it, some didn't. You saw Austin Jackson take less than he probably would have got on the open market uh, to stay here. You saw Ingold get extended. You saw Sealer take way less than what he should be getting paid as a double-digit sack and a dude that outperformed Christian Wilkins. You saw him, you know, take the deal. But then you also saw Christian Wilkins bet on himself. You saw Robert Hunt not take a deal. I don't think he necessarily made an offer to Connor Williams. Um, But so these guys, and he said in his press conference, have earned the right to hit free agency. So they, unless there's a last-second change of heart by some of these players, are going to hit the open market and – I think the Dolphins are going to get priced out of bringing these guys back because, especially with O-line, right, it's such a scarcity. So these, so some team is going to bid high for a Robert Hunt who really before the end of this year has, has had never missed a game, who is, you know, have like even now, I he doesn't have injury concerns. Like at some point playing football, you're going to have an injury. It wasn't a serious one. So like this dude's dependable. He's super talented. He's still young. Someone's going to pay – and he can play tackle and guard. So, like, someone's going to pay the shit out of him. Uh, Connor Williams might have feelings towards us now because he held out last offseason hoping for money for the exact reason that we saw happen this year. He got a torn ACL. It's going to diminish his market value to some degree. And he's – like, if it happened to me – I'm looking at the Dolphins like go fuck yourself because like you you couldn't negotiate with me. We couldn't figure out a deal, and now I got screwed. So like, why would you want to play ball uh, in negotiations with the team after that? Like, I I would have you know personal feelings about that, and I think that's what Javon Holland's going to do this offseason. Like, especially because he saw it happen to like AVG, Connor Williams, guys in the contract year, Robert Hunt this dude's coming off two spring uh, MCLs going into the last year of his deal, making 1.8 million. But some people have brought up a good point. Has he earned enough? Has he done enough to be able to say, you guys got to pay me. And I would say, no, like you haven't, like you, you haven't been the playmaker that was advertised uh, coming out of Oregon. You, You are a very good player. You're good at coverage. You're good at, you know, kind of leading the secondary, et cetera, et cetera. But you you don't have the clout to you don't even have the clout that Christian Wilkins had, and I would I would have to say Christian Wilkins didn't really have all that much clout to be able to uh, you know hold out all the training camp et cetera et cetera. So like, it, it, and I, I heard that on locker room cleanout day, uh, the beat writers were in in the locker room, you know, doing you know interviews, getting to meet with the players for the last time. And they overheard Raheem Mostert uh, saying, "Yeah, we're gonna, we might have to, uh, 
take a look at that contract and it wasn't in a specific or like in a, an actual like interview way. It was like something that got said and they, they overheard it. Um, I think it was more of like a personal conversation type thing, uh, like an off the record. So now like this guy who's going to be like what 32, like is going to want money. I, I just, I feel like this off season is a mess, but I do agree with you. I think, I don't know what the decision will be, but I think they will make, a a dramatic one um whatever that looks like i'm not sure because like they have to know like we can get mad at greer we can get mad at mcdaniel but like there's a lot of super intelligent people in that building including marvin allen reggie mckenzie they have eyes and i talked to, to one of the beat writers privately about this uh and i i said to them like they have to have eyes right they they have to be able to see what we see um and he said, no, they, they definitely see it. He just thinks maybe they make a business decision because, you know, Tua puts fan in the seats. It, it's made the Dolphins a national favorite talking point. Um, and the one thing Stephen Ross wants as much as the championship is to be the popular guy, the guy that gets talked about. So he could see them making that type of decision where it's like, oh, I, I like the attention. I like that we're talking about. I like being one of the it it teams although like everyone talks about the cowboys too but not in a good way like is that what you want to be like yeah i mean i think the one great thing is this not great at the moment but great if we get a quarterback all these things we're talking about and by the way i totally agree where not only would i have a personal vendetta against the team if i was connor williams but as a guy that's only been there two years i'd be like well you guys aren't gonna win anyway like it's, it's not like I'm staying to win a championship. This team's not even good. Um, and the same the same thing with you know as far as Javon Holland. The thing for me is this: is he an elite safety? No, is he very good safety? Yes. You sat out the Chiefs. You, you're a safety, and not only did you sit out, you didn't even engage in gamesmanship with. You don't want the Chiefs knowing you're sitting out. You got up there on a Wednesday and said, "Yeah, you know my knees aren't progressing as well." as I would have liked them to. So not only did you not play in the most important game of the year, uh, when you're supposed to be a tough defensive player, you told you basically told the other team, hey, don't don't prepare for number eight on defense on, on Saturday night. He's not going to be there. Um, so I will let him hold out. And But the great thing about all this is a quarterback fixes everything. Not, 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 not everything, but most things. That's what we thought with Tua. It doesn't matter who's out there on the line. doesn't matter who the receivers are. If the quarterback's great, the team will find a way. If you're Josh Allen and there's rumors coming out about your coach supporting terrorists, but you're great, you're going to find a way, even with throwing all the interceptions. And the Dolphins have to find the quarterback that's going to do that for them. That's going to make all these roster decisions, who plays guard, who plays center, who plays safety, not really matter. Because our roster is way better than the Bills this year, and we still couldn't get it done because they have Josh Allen and we have Tua. Uh, we've only got a couple minutes here, so uh, any last words on what you would do? You know what you think as far as the Dolphins' future? Yeah, I mean, just just looking ahead at the offseason and having run the math and and look to see like what we could even do. Like, I think if we run it back. Uh, especially with two as our quarterback, I don't think we're a playoff team next year. Um, I think it, the writing's on the wall. And 
really only like every, all of us are diehard fans. Like on game day, the the analytical side of us goes out the window and we turn into raving obsessive fans. But for the ones who spend the other six days of the week, you know, looking at it from a, a, an unbiased perspective, I, I think it, the writing is on the wall. Um, we just got like, we just got to hope. And if it doesn't go well, you, like Chris Greer can't have the opportunity to rebuild a roster for like the fourth time. Like that's getting way too out of control. I would love to see what McDaniel could create with a quarterback of his choosing one that, you know, can, can open up the offense, working off scripts, um, make, being a playmaker instead of a point guard, those things. But I think it'll be an interesting few weeks uh, to see if Vic Vangio retires, if they get rid of Danny Crossman. Uh, then you have the senior bowl and scouting and then free agency. So, like, it'll it'll be a, a really busy next few months for this team. Totally agree. Sean, thanks for coming on. It was a pleasure. Absolutely. That was a good conversation with Sean Williams. Uh, great Twitter follow and really knows the game and knows Dolphins football. So now it's time to present the Clown of the Year Award. There have been 15 Clown of the Weeks in 16 episodes. Oh, no, 14 because the first week we didn't do it. And there was one week I forgot to do it. It was after, I think it was after the Ravens loss. I was too angry and forgot about it. But uh, look, the Clown of the Year is a very big award. You know, there's been a lot of people who have made their cases from reporters to players and coaches, and I've said we have to remain objective. And, you know, a couple notable people out there are one, Mike McDaniel, you know, did his best. Four straight carries for 21 yards in the game against the Chiefs to bring up a third and two at the Chiefs 45, down 13 to seven. And uh, throws the ball twice for two incompletions, or calls two pass plays, and turnover on downs. The individual who threw the two incomplete passes to a tongue of Iloa, also uh, in the running for Clown of the Year. All the reporters who have gotten Clown of the Week, uh, Steven Ruiz, um, Theo Ash, I guess he's not much of a reporter, uh, they end up being right about the 2023 Miami Dolphins, so I can't give it to them. And there's one individual remaining, and it is myself, Jack Frischman. I am the clown of the year. And look, this is a big award, and I wouldn't give it to myself unless I really deserved it. But I have been out there since before the Tennessee game saying I'm going to chirp as much as possible, talk as much shit as I can about this team, and I'm going to ride or die with them. And I chose to ride or die with um, just a bunch of clowns. So a bunch of losers, a bunch of guys who don't care about winning. And because of that, I deserve to win the clown of the year. And I'm well aware with what comes along with that, I would have a difficult time finding a larger clown than myself at, the, uh, at a street fair circus or the birthday party of a young child. And look, this is it. Thank you to everybody who listened. Um, I think the Dolphins, you know, I mean, it's exactly what we've said throughout this whole podcast. Major change needs to be made. If they don't make one, they are they're going to be worse next year. I think they win about seven games with no changes, maybe eight because there's a lot of talent 
8-9, but they're not winning a playoff game with this roster. Um, but, yeah, so hopefully the Dolphins make a change. Thank you to everyone who listened, uh, anybody who came on the show this year. Appreciate all you guys. We will try to be better next year. That's the goal is to get better every podcast, and uh, I, I hope we're trending the right direction. Um the opposite direction of the Dolphins. You know, the podcast is about the Dolphins. The Dolphins are trending down. Hopefully the podcast is trending up. And this is all we have at the end of the day as Dolphins fans, as sad as it is. Uh, at the end of the day, it's usually us just laughing about how bad the team is and talking about, you know, what we would do to turn the team around next year. So um, if we can't get any playoff wins or Super Bowls, at least we could laugh about it and uh, talk hypotheticals. So thank you guys for listening. We'll try to be better next year. And um, and we'll, we'll, do a, we'll do a free agency draft preview uh, in, in about a month. But uh, I, th- I think we could, use, we could use the break. You know, the only thing more taxing than an NFL season is uh, the mental toll being a Miami Dolphins fan takes on you. And, yeah, so... I know the Miami Dolphins are going to stop using it because of trademark issues, but I'm not on the Miami Dolphins, so I don't have to follow the rules. So uh, one more time, fins up.